Welcome to the Learn Stage Lighting Podcast. This is the show where newcomers and professionals alike come to learn more about stage lighting. And now your host, David Henry. Hey, and welcome. As he mentioned, this is the place to learn about stage lighting. Whether you're a beginner, whether you've been at this for a while, it doesn't matter. We're here to serve you. And I, I hope you're good today. Are, are, you, are you good today? Um, I know I've had a stressful, just busy, busy, busy couple weeks, um, October, in this world, in, in the business side of stage lighting, at least, is always a busy time. And so now we're coming off that and uh, heading towards the holidays, heading towards slower times, which is great, because I realize with this podcast and uh, with the website and with other things, you know, I... I I admit I've I've been working hard, um, but you know, getting a little bit behind on on trying to get stuff out to you guys, get more free stuff out to you guys, get more resources out to you guys inside of Lauren Stage Lighting Labs, and um, all of that, all of that is here for you. Um, so I'm so glad you're here today. So glad you're listening today. We're gonna take your questions. Um, that's all I'm gonna do today because again, I'm behind on them. Um, including the first batch of questions actually are from the website, from comments on the website because um, I, I often forget about those, and then I look at them, and I'm like, oh, no, there's like 10. I got I to gotta answer those. So we'll be doing that here. Uh, we'll also be talking about Patreon, be talking about the future of this podcast, and so um, I hope hope you enjoy that. So let's talk about that. Um, so obviously, uh, I like to answer y- y'all's questions. Um, I'm so not from the South, um, but I, I've been here 10 years now uh, in the U.S., and so I can say y'all. But I do like taking your questions, and I like answering them. Um, the problem always with it has been, you know, how do you, you pay for the time? I mean, this takes time. Uh, my assistant, Kari, writes up the show notes, and uh, that takes time and money. And then, of course, the podcast is hosted. That takes money. Um, it's not just on a regular website. And so one of the things I did a while ago was I, I started a Patreon. You can go to uh, patreon.com slash lighting. Link in the show notes, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash lighting. And there is where uh, you can go ahead and join us and just help support the podcast. Um, I, I'm really looking at this podcast, I'm um, just as a little business here, to really begin focusing on promoting it better. I, I've done probably not the best job in the past at promoting this podcast. And, you know, it does okay. Um, I, I get, I've got, obviously, you're listening. Um, people are definitely listening. And I would love to have more of you guys listening and more of you guys supporting the podcast. Just think, uh, if, if you're enjoying this, Okay, you're getting, you know, two half-hour shows a month, uh, and if, if you just went ahead and chipped in three bucks, um, U.S. or equivalent, then you get some Patreon-exclusive uh, content there. You know, I, I, I make some videos over there occasionally, and I'll be looking forward to doing more of that uh, to let you know what's going on. So, uh, if we, you know, do hit our goal of 150 bucks a month, I'm going to be back to four podcast episodes per month, and I know a lot of you guys have been asking for that. Um, but the truth is, you know, it takes time. It takes money. I've got kids to feed. I've got a kid to uh, birth in, you know, a month or two. And so this is, you know, this is big stuff. But I um, just want to, you know, I don't want to be pushy about it um, because truly I, I I want you to get value out of this. But if you have gotten value out of the show, if you've enjoyed it, then uh, go check out the Patreon because like three bucks or more, um, more is better, of course, but three bucks if, let's think about this, okay? So if everybody who listened on a weekly basis gave a dollar, okay, a dollar a month to this Patreon, just a dollar. And I think you can do that, even though my lowest tier is three dollars, I think you can give a dollar. Um, and let's say everybody gave a dollar fifty, um, just because down at a dollar, the fees are kind of high. Um, as you get above three dollars, the fees get better. But 
It's a percentage basis, but say, so say I get a dollar for every person who listens each week to the show, okay, or each month. So every week we get about, you know, 500 people listening, something like that. So in a month, it's uh, about four times that. So if all of y'all gave just a buck, um, then I would have for focusing on free YouTube videos and this podcast, I would literally have a budget of $500 a month to uh, do this stuff. Plus, you know, of course, Learn Stage Lighting Labs is something I promote from here. Um, and I don't know how many people join from here, but occasionally it happens and um, all that. And, and if we did that, you know, I would be able to put out four podcasts a month. Um, I'd be able to even turn off the YouTube ads if that's something people are interested in. Um, I think it's cool when you can go to a video, you're wanting to learn something and you can go to a video and have no ads uh, run on it. But I know a lot of other people say, well, ads are just a fact of life on YouTube. And uh, then, of course, upgrade my video equipment as well and, and get an editor to help me out and all that jazz. But anyways, if, if that sounds interesting to you, if you say, hey, you know, I listen to this, David. I'm one of the 500-ish people a week who, who listen to this show. Then chip in, man. I would really, really appreciate it because it's one of those things where it's like, I, I admit, you know, things have gotten busy and promoting this podcast and paying attention to it has, has gone on the wayside over the last uh, few months. And, you know, I want to put some more focus in it and see where it can shine. I've got, I, I really want to, you know, my vision with it is to do half interviews and half uh, Q&As like this. And we're coming up on the LDI trade show, the lighting trade show. And I, and I want to interview some people there. But as you guys know, um, or probably know, on this show, I'm not about just interviewing people, okay? There's a lot of people on a lot of shows, um, you know, in this industry and others who just go and they find people that work for manufacturers because they're the easiest to get a hold of. And they just talk, you know, about the manufacturer. They, you know, it, it's kind of promotional. And, and you know, that's fine. That's fine. Um, or they talk about people's life or their story. And that's cool. I enjoy that. But what I want to do with these interviews and what I try to do, we've got one next week, actually, with Chris Lloyd, great guy. And what I want to do is really use the interviews to, yeah, tell somebody's story, but also eke out and get that information out that's going to help you make better lighting, right? So that I'm always focused on teaching something about lighting, something that's going to be useful to you, whether you're a hobbyist, a young professional, anything else. And so um, that's my vision. That's how you can help. And I hope you do. Now, today, as we noted, we've got lots of uh, website comments, lots of emails. I'm way behind. I'm not going to get to them all. I know that, but I would love to. So first, we've got Dell who wrote in. Um, I assume it's a he. I know Adele who's a he. Um, a Adele, D-E-L, not Adele. Um, obviously, that would be a she. Um, but he says, I run Show Express and was wondering if I have to use the DMX AN from Chauvet or if I can use another brand for Artnet. Uh, the answer being dealt that the cool thing about Artnet, this is what I like about Artnet um, as a protocol, which is basically DMX over a network. It could be Artnet, it could be SACN, but both of them are DMX over a network. And um, with Show Express, you do have to, let's just walk through this. You do have to buy their box to license the software. I don't believe that's changed. There's no free version, okay? So you have to have the USB box plugged in. But then there is an option, and I don't remember exactly um, if you get more universes by Artnet or if you can just send them over a network um, with a DMXAN. But um, so whether you have to have, you know, one USB box plugged in for every universe you get out via Artnet 
or um, whether just having one box unlocks multiple universes, even though the the one USB box, the Show Express 512, as they call it, uh, only has one output on it. But regardless, um, you can use another brand, okay? Because now I think the DMX AN is the best deal out there, but maybe you found something to use, maybe you've got something. Um, because the cool thing about Artnet is that it is it is totally open and it's generic in a sense that Chauvet can't build into Artnet that you have to use their box. It's, it's not how it works. It literally, the, the system, Artnet itself can't bring that limitation in. If they wanted to do a network-based uh, deal where, you know, box where it worked with Show Express, but it only, uh, Show Express would only talk to their box, they would have to build their own protocol, their own way of doing it. It would not work over Artnet. So yeah, you can use anything with that. Uh, John wrote and say, what is a good entry-level visualizer to use with a single universe USB to DMX interface for HOG4 consoles or HOG4 PC? Okay, John, so you, you might have to do a little bit of legwork here. Um, I just got to talk through this for you because I, I admit I don't stay up to date as up to date on HOGs as I do other consoles. But um, it, there's a couple things with the visualizer. One, you've got to get the data into the visualizer, Okay. So whether that's an Artnet node bringing the DMX in, or hopefully, 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 when you plug in that USB to DMX on the hog, hopefully it will unlock that same universe via networked DMX, via Artnet or ACN. And I don't know if it does. So you're going to need to check on that, John. That's the first step, okay? Because that's how, because if you can't with your single universe USB to DMX get that network unlocked, then you're literally going to have to buy another, you know, like an Artnet node with input or a uh, or another USB DMX device of some sort to get that DMX back into the computer. And in today's day and age, you, you shouldn't have to do that. Um, so uh, when it comes to Visualizer, there really isn't an entry level. Um, there is the Capture Visualizer. That's my favorite. And I got to tell you, it's 400 bucks or 400 euros, um, 395 euros, and it converts to your currency. Uh, and, and you you buy it, you own it. It's not a yearly thing. You can upgrade for five years um, for the same upgrade cost, which is like 100 bucks a year for one universe. And, and I think that's a pretty darn good deal. Now, you might look at that and say that's expensive. Well, there's a couple of things about visualizers that I got I to gotta beef about because um, the next question uh, kind of says the same thing. And you know, I've probably gone on this rant here before. It's terrible. But when I started in this business, you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't that long ago. It was, you know, 10, 11, well, maybe a little more than that now. But we didn't have visualizers, okay? And I feel like this this is sounds like a rant about going up in the snow both ways. But literally, you know, were the lights less complex then? Generally. But we had moving lights and LEDs were starting to, to come into the world. But we didn't have a visualizer. So if you wanted to go ahead and pre-program a show on a console, you know, like a hog or something, you just, you really just had to go in there and really work hard at thinking about, okay, how do I lay out my different palettes and put those into queues so that when I get on site, I can update, you know, 10, 20 palettes or, or maybe 30. And it's going to automatically then update about a billion queues inside my console, and I'm going to be ready to roll, okay? And back in the day, and I still do it this way if I'm pre-programming a template file on a new console, I don't use a visualizer. I don't, okay? Because 
yes, visualizers can be accurate. They can give you an idea of how things look and all that jazz. But but an even better skill than that is the ability to to plan out. You can do this on paper and really say, okay, what are the cues that I want to pre-program? Okay, to make those cues, what palettes do I need to pre-program those cues? Because in moving like consoles like a hog, you want to go ahead and put uh, fixtures and groups. You, you select those and you build them into palettes or presets, as other consoles call them. And then you build those into cues. And when you update the palette or preset, it's going to update all those cues. So you, you sit down and you think about, okay, this is the end result I want. These are the cues. So what palettes do I need to make? And the secret here is that you can guess, especially on things like colors uh, and intensity and gobos, you can put some values into those palettes when you're pre-programmed, if you want, and you know, kind of get close to what they should be in real life. But then with things like position, pan, tilt, you know, that's the biggest reason people like a visualizer is that um, your visualizer, when you pre-program, is not going to be spot on with those unless your measurement as to where that light is in the space and how it relates to what it's pointing at is perfect, okay? And so you're going to have to go back on site and touch up that palette either way, unless your visualizer file literally is perfect, like to the inch, of where the light is in the space and what it's pointing at in the space and the size of the space. And most people in visualizers don't go to that level of detail. Um, they just don't. If you do, you know, then you're in the territory like the Olympics. You you do a great job and there's not a lot of updating. But regardless, um, if you can't afford a visualizer, my biggest recommendation is sit down and figure out, okay, what's the most I can do without a visualizer? Because you can lay out a lot of different looks, a lot of different cues, a lot of different palettes. And when you get on site, it's literally as simple. And I do this all the time without a visualizer on shows. So I'm not, I'm not bluffing here. Because when I do a show, um, a, lot of a, a lot of the time, you know, sometimes I'm going to provide my own console and it's going to be Onyx. But if it's for a production company, it's probably going to be an MA or a HOG console. Okay? And I don't have the hardware to unlock output for those. So... Rather than, I, I can't use a visualizer. I don't have the hardware to do it. But I can pre-program in a smart way to say, okay, here's what I need. Here's the palettes I need. And build a bunch of cues. And then when I get on site, I just go through those palettes. I've labeled them as to what they need to look like, what they need to end up. And I just update those palettes, you know, 20, 30 minutes, maybe. And it's something you could do within breaks of time when artists are changing on stage, whatever. You, you go ahead, you update those palettes. And boom, you've got a show. Just like that. And so that's my biggest recommendation for you. It's one of those things I do talk about in the labs is, hey, you don't have to have a visualizer. Like you literally can pre-program a whole show without seeing what you, you're going to have and get a pretty darn good start if you don't have time to program. So, so John, to answer your question, sorry about the rant, but it's all about, um, you, you can buy capture. It's great. The single universe is only 400 bucks or 400 euros and they convert it over, which right now is pretty close to one to one, I think, um, if you're in the US. But also, um, another one you can look at is you can use the Camsys Magic Viz uh, for free. Uh, there's, there's some limitations there and it doesn't look the best, but again, you can use it for free. So next question, so related. Emmanuel says, I like DeepRo, but it has no 3D visualizer, has it? No, it does not. Um, it would add significant costs to the product. Um, and Tech D Pro is a good, you know, good solution. But what I recommend to Manuel is listen to the answer I just gave John about how to set up your show and how to pre-program in a way 
that you don't need a visualizer, okay? Because this is a kind of a new thing. We didn't used to have this. And even when they did exist in the world, they were only for people who had lots of money on their shows. And so it's a fairly new phenomenon, people having a visualizer. And yeah, it looks cool and all that jazz. But truth be told, you don't need it. In fact, just to, to riff on more that I didn't say with John is even better. If you want to get your colors and stuff right, you know, just... Go to the shop, wherever you're renting the lights from, ask them or or bring the lights in and just get one of each light, okay? And build your palettes with that. Because if you just plug in one of each type of light, you're then going to be able to match up colors. You're going to be able to set gobos, stuff like that, and know what it's going to look like. Um, and then when you get on site, all you're doing is updating the, the positions and then you're, you're making a show. So uh, Rodney says, next question. I have a quad gem DMX. When I plug it in, it comes on for about four seconds and then it blinks back off. Well, Rodney, couple of solutions for you here. Um, if you're not plugged into DMX and you think you've got the thing set up to be in some sort of automatic mode where it's supposed to be on, then you're going to have to call the manufacturer on this one. Um, their supports are usually pretty good. Um, whoever makes this, it sounds like an ADJ name, um, but I, I'm honestly not sure. And so, you know, there's, there's that. Uh, if, it's plugged into DMX and you're giving it, yeah, it is, it is an ADJ. If you're, if it's plugged into DMX and it does this, when you turn it on, it turns on for a couple seconds and then it turns off. Then it sounds to me like whatever console you're using is actually turning the light off. Okay. Which is a good thing. That means you've got control. So now you got to look at whatever console you have and look at the manual of the light, make sure they match up and make sure you're turning on the light, you know? Because a lot of times you might think you're turning it on. Maybe the DMX address on the light is different from where you're you're using it on the console. Um, without more information, I can't give you a lot of detail there, Rodney. But I would just recommend looking at those things. Uh, if you think you have a DMX problem, or or you, you're sure you're setting it up right in the console, but it's it's just not working, then I would go ahead and plug it directly into the console with a short cable as close as you can get the two, no other lights plugged in, and, and see if you can get some control because that's going to let you know, okay, hey, there's some sort of other problem, maybe some bad cables, maybe some microphone cable in place of DMX cable, something like that going on here, um, and that can help rule that kind of stuff out. So next question, David G. And so David G. writes, for, for reasons I can't control, I am unable to move the lighting system. So I'm looking for a way to get a plug into my DMX dimmer to my PC and get a visual-like feedback so I can properly program the dimmer deck. Can this be done so the output of the dimmer will register as a visualizer only on the PC? Thank you in advance. Yeah, David, I'm um, go ahead and listen uh, up at John and Emmanuel's question um, just before you. But I've got an article on Learn Stage Lighting um, called So You Want a Lighting Visualizer. We'll link to it here. Um, it's one I link to a lot for people because... Uh, you can get a visualizer. There's there's many good ones out there. Um, Capture is my recommendation. The the funny thing about visualizers is that they literally all have the same pricing. Like they're all very close to each other in pricing, and so uh, it's not really about price as to whether you choose one or the other. It's more about features and ease of use. And I've I found Capture to be the best. Uh, and so yeah, that's a great way to do it is to use something like Capture uh, that that will allow you to see what's going on because it sounds like maybe. Um, I don't have a lot of information here, but it sounds like you're perhaps in a control room where you can't see the stage or something like that, and you can't move uh, the control or the the stage. And so uh, at that point, of course, you can't move the stage. At that point, um, a visualizer can work. So check that out. Um, absolutely. 
Scott wrote in and says, hey, David, I'm not even a novice. I'm a dinosaur. That's all right, Scott. Everybody's welcome here. Um, further complications is I don't want to control lighting. Okay. Um, I have four DMX controllable flame projectors and want to add some spark machines, um, which are the new kind of new couple of years old uh, kind of cold spark fountains. Um, so I bought a DMX controller. It's wireless, and I brought wireless units for the flame projectors. But what now? Where it goes, where and what makes it go? Um, so, Scott, here's what I would recommend for you, okay? I would go out, and first of all, I don't recommend ever um, running flame projectors off DMX unless you um, have the insurance to, to cover every loss that's possible for whatever buildings you're in completely burning down. Um, and I'm serious about that um, because... DMX-controlled flame machines are very dangerous. Um, there have been fires started by them. There has been loss of life by people trying to do pyro who don't know what they're doing. And there have been some very tragic situations. So, I'm not going to advise you to control your flame projectors via DMX because it sounds like, um, you know, you're new at this. And so, like, you... If you're going to do pyro, um, anything with a fire, with a flame... Even on an outdoor stage, it doesn't have to be indoors. Um, you really, 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 really need to have some certifications. You need to have some specialized training, and you need to make sure that um, your insurance company understands what they're covering. Because chances are, if you bought these things direct from China, they will not cover a loss from them. Okay, that's a big deal. So, but the cold spark machines are, are fairly safe. They're kind of a non-pyrotechnic thing that's come out in the past few years. And so, let's talk about it. Um, I would go ahead and. Just to get them started, to make sure you've got everything set up right, I would go and buy some DMX cables just to be able to hook this stuff up and make sure it works and then introduce the wireless. Because what you're doing with wireless is you're adding an extra level of complication and things that could go wrong. And sometimes, especially less expensive wireless systems can be very difficult to get set up properly, okay? Especially if you've never done anything like it before. So I would get your DMX controller, and I would get out its manual. It might be written on the back if it's a cheap one, um, or there might be an actual manual. And I would get the manual out for your, your spark fountains, okay? And you got to look at the two of them and see what the DMX channels are for the spark fountains, and then set them to an address, a space on your controller where you can control them. So you'll look in the controller's manual for um, what addresses they start the fixtures at, there's there's some very common ones. Um, often they start at like 1 and 17 and 33 um, every 16 channels, basically. And then you want to look at the manual for your spark machines, figure out how to set the DMX address for those, and make sure they match up. Then you can go to the manual for your spark machine and see you'll have a DMX chart that shows you what every channel does. So it'll say, okay, Channel 1 controls this, channel 2 controls that, and they might just be one channel. I'm honestly not sure. Depends on the unit you've got, okay? And at which point you can connect the two together with some DMX cables and watch it work, okay? Once that works, go ahead and pull out the manual for your wireless unit. Now, every wireless unit from every brand is different and sets up a different way, okay? So my recommendation for you is get it working first, not on wireless, and then get the manuals out for your wireless stuff and um, read about how to make it work. Awesome. So Jeff said, hi, David, I have a question. I have a Max Parbar by 3LED and he uh, he linked to one there from djcity.com.au. So you're in Australia or maybe New Zealand. Um, the foreheads are daisy chain, so only one DMX cable to the bar. I haven't yet bought a DMX board, 
but I don't know how to get each of the four units to be different colors and possibly actions at the same time. Awesome. Can I point you in the right direction to get different color lights simultaneously? Thanks in advance. So, Jeff, what I'm guessing you're seeing and what's going on is you might be going ahead and you're plugging in that unit to DMX or or to its included foot pedal because a lot of times these things come with a foot pedal, okay? And, And you go ahead and plug into that and you see on that foot pedal that comes with it that's not DMX, it's just a cheap foot pedal, you see that that it only brings up the lights all the same color. Okay, great. Well, when it comes to plugging in DMX, it's going to be a little bit different, okay? The way a lot of these things work is they're often, uh, they often take up 15 DMX channels, okay? And I recommend, if you're lighting for a band, um, go check out Entech DMXs, okay? Um, I, I'll, I'll link to a post on it on Lauren Stage Lighting because... For bands or even DJs, it is the best way to get started with controlling DMX lights in a way that's not frustrating and in a way that's going to really complement your show and allow you to do amazing things. Is it more expensive than a cheap controller? Yes, it is, but it is worth every penny. I have so many people who've who've bought these and say exactly that. Um, it really is worth it. So, um, so back to your question. Um, so you'll have DMX channels that then show up in your controller, such as DMXs or another console. Um, units like these often have 15 channels, okay? Um, that's pretty common. And so what, what it looks like is you'll have the first channel will be the dimmer over the whole unit, and maybe the second channel will be like a strobe or a mode. Then after that, there will be three channels, three or four. Um, let's see. I don't remember if these are RGB or RGB, you know, W. how many colors of LEDs in them. I don't remember. Um, but we'll look it up here. And so then after those channels that um, go over the whole unit that control everything, then they um, then you go ahead and have three channels, three or four channels for each light. Okay. And, and that's where it gets interesting. That's where, um, let's see. Yeah, they're RGB. So you would literally have, you know, a couple channels, one or two for controlling the whole bar. And then after that, You'll just have uh, three channels for each light. So it'll go first light, you know, red, green, blue, then second light, red, green, and blue, third light, and fourth light. And um, I can look quick here on the site and, and make sure that's the case. Okay, so it says it only takes eight DMX channels, so you might have a bad unit here. You'll have to look at the uh, the spec sheet um, and see how you can control it. Unfortunately, it may not have the control you want because now I'm seeing that it only takes eight DMX channels, and that's a big red flag here. Um, units that I recommend, like the Chauvet 4 bar or the ADJ Star Bar Wash, will take 15 channels instead of 8, and that allows you to control each light individually. Um, chances are there might be a channel with some like built-in programs that allow you to control each light separately. But even, I mean, even looking at this, looking at their in-action shots, they only have shots of the bar split down the middle and two cans of each color. Sure, the product shot that's on a white background has each one a different color, but I don't always trust those because graphic designers can get in there and mess with things and um, do things that can't happen in real life. So that's how to work it, Jeff. Um, I'm not sure you're going to get more control than half. Let's see. Is there a thing? Now, I don't see a manual here, so I can't look at that quick and, and let you know, but take a look at the manual and it'll show you, hey, you know, here are the DMX channels. Um, you know, this is for the first light, this is for all the lights, and maybe this is for the second set of lights, and, and you can see all of that there. Um, so, yeah, man, I um, hope that helps you.
Next question. All right. So now we're going to hit some questions from email. Just want to highlight the patrons here. Um, surely, um, you know, Patreon's been a little bit slower, as I mentioned, but, you know, we're getting 29 bucks a month through it, which is great. Helps support the show, and I really appreciate it. Um, and I think I'm going to move the tiers as well so that I announce the patrons um, more often via this site because I'm really thankful to these people. So who in the world are these people? Well, that's, that's a great question. So let's click a couple clicks and uh, see what their names are. So we've got Wesley, Taz, Sylvain, Mark, Kristen, Jake, Gwen, Jeff, Dennis, and Craig. Thank you all so much, guys. You guys are awesome. Um, I just got to say that. Uh, it's, you know, I'm really thankful because it, it, it does help me to to take care of this show. It might seem insignificant, just a couple dollars a month, you know, three bucks or, or whatever. Um, but it really is a big deal. And it really is helpful to the show just even to have, you know, the hosting costs covered to be able to say, you know what, I can continue giving this out to the to most people for free if just some of the people um, or or all the people pay just a couple bucks a month. And that is a huge thing. I thank you all so much for doing that. I really, really appreciate it. All right. So now we're going to hit some questions um, quick from the email um, and uh, then we'll let you all go. So that sounds good. I hope you guys are enjoying the show so far. I hope you're enjoying getting your questions answered. Of course, if I've answered your question here, um, surely, surely check out Patreon because it is for you. It's like, you know, realize that um because i get people online that are looking for free advice and you know i'm all about giving free advice but at the same time i want to give good advice and quality resources and the only way to do that is to put time in and and over the long term i can't do that for free you know i I got a family and stuff and i got i gotta feed them And, and i want this site i want this business to be around for the long time so let's answer some questions from the email why don't we all right, so Chuck writes in and says, I am having trouble programming my Mini Kinta with my Obey 6. So the Mini Kinta and the Obey 6 are both from Chauvet, um, both lights from there. And uh, let's take a look here. So first thing you want to do is look at the user manual for the Mini Kinta. Okay, you can get it uh, at ChauvetDJ.com. Just at the top there, you click on Mini Kinta. And then we are going to go to, I'm going to do this right with you, um, Operation, let's see, page 11 is DMX channel modes, assignments, and values. That's that's exactly where we want to be. Okay, so we want to look at this chart um, on page 11. And so we're going to scroll to that, and we see, okay, it is a three-channel mode. That's, that's all it does is three DMX channels. So the very first thing you want to do is look at actually the page previous, um, which is page 10. And it shows you how to set the DMX mode to control it with the DMX controller and how to set that starting address, okay? Um, so you press menu, you go to address, enter, you set the address, you press enter. So the address, as, as I've talked about already on this show, and I'll talk about again, I'm sure, is where it's going to show up on your DMX controller. So for an Obey 6, you want to set that to 1. It may already be set there, um, but this is a 3-channel, so if you had a 3-channel light already at 1, you could set this at 4 and then have a three-channel light at one that takes up channels one, two, and three, and then a three-channel light also at four. So once you get there, once you, you are either starting at one or at four, the first channel is the mode for the light. Okay, you're not going to get fine grain control out of a light like this, but you, you'll get something. So I see here that the first channel, um, you're looking from zero to 255. So that's the, the whole fader goes from zero at the bottom to 255 at the top. Um, 
and that sets the color of the light, okay? So if it's all the way down, it does nothing. Um, if it's all the way up, it does a seven color chase. And in the middle, there's a lot of color combinations. Check out the manual for the exact positions. I mean, it's going to be hard to hit them exactly, but you'll be able to scroll through with the fader and you'll be able to see these different colors. Then the second channel that you'll want to bring up is the strobe. So if you do want to strobe it, again, keep that channel down at first. You should be able to get a color up just with that first channel. But then you can use that second channel if you bring it up above 5 uh, out of 255. If you bring it up past that point, you'll start to get strobe. And then the third channel is the rotation of the lights inside of it. Um, you know, kind of the, the spinning of the sparkly doodads that many kintas do. And uh, what you want to do there then is uh, you bring that up. Uh, the first half of the fader basically is called indexing. And what that means is that uh, it's going to basically turn it, but not um, continually spin it. And then the once it's past that halfway, past 128, it's then spinning the motor, um, and you have some speed control there as to how fast it goes. So my recommendation to you is, um, you know, check out that manual and uh, get that thing addressed, and you'll be rolling in no time. Question, uh, John says, I would like to ask two questions. Can I use Cat5 cable to send DMX cable data from a controller to lights? And two, can I use a channel on my snake to send DMX data from controller to lights? And will it cause interference with the sound system? So, um, both questions, um, the answer is mostly yes. So, um, first question, you can use Cat5 cable, um, not Cat5, but Cat5e, which is probably what you're referring to. Cat5 is actually an older cable that's, that's different. But regardless, um, you can use Cat 5e, Cat 6, Cat 7, Cat 8 cable, um, any of those. You're probably going to see Cat 5e or Cat 6, though, in your world. Um, and you can use that with some DMX adapters, some, you know, just DMX to RJ45 adapters. You can send DMX cable, uh, DMX down category cable. Absolutely. It works fine. It'll work all day long because the cable itself is just as good for digital signal as regular DMX cable. Okay. Number two. Can I use a channel on my audio snake? Well, yes and no. Yes, you can. Okay. Let's just put that out there. But it's essentially using a microphone cable. So it's never going to cause any problem to your audio system. Okay. Because this, this is something people have been doing for years. But when you use microphone cables such as this snake for DMX signal, it is going to cause the signal to degrade or go bad sooner and possibly cause you problems sooner. Okay. Now, if you only have a few lights and you're not going, you know, hundreds of feet, if you're just going like 100 feet, you might be able to get away with it. Okay, a lot of people do, right? That doesn't necessarily make it right, but it means, yeah, it probably works for you. And maybe your backup plan is, okay, if that fails, I can just run up on stage, plug the thing in and be back to rolling. That's fine. Um, if you want to do it right, you know, if you use the, the audio snake over time, okay, you're going to have um, more potential for problems. It's just, it's more likely to happen if you add more lights or more distance, or you just get a day where the, even the humidity changing, honestly, I think can, can, you know, I don't think that's crazy to say that, that, you know, conditions in the room change the sensitivity. Um, electromagnetic forces, you know, like, like HVAC units and things that spin quickly and electrically, um, can cause fields of electromagnetic radiation that can throw off DMX signal if they're too close. And if you're using microphone cable, it's just more likely to happen. 
you know, this, this stuff literally is, I'm not making this up. Um, and so at the end of the day, you can use it and it may work for you, but just keep in mind, it's not guaranteed to work. And you, if your lights start flickering, start becoming unresponsive or something like that, then you know that you're using mic cable and it's not designed to do DMX and therefore that's why you're having that problem. Um, so using cat five E or cat six is a much better option for sure. Darren says, First off, thanks for the videos. I recently bought D-Pro, and I'm trying to use an APC-40 from Akai. Um, so I downloaded the program to change the mode, but the program won't run on my MacBook. It'll run fine on my PC. Um, do you have any idea what that could be wrong? All right. So my recommendation, or how to contact the guy who made the crack. Well, it's not really a crack. It's just it's just a script that, that sets the mode. A, a crack would mean you're doing something illegal or against the manufacturer's wishes, um, which you're not. Um, they, they allow you to do this. It's fine. But it's in the manual for the APC-40. But what you need to do is you need to download Java. Okay. So just literally Google download Java, I think it is. And it takes you yet yeah, to java.com. And, and what Java is basically is it downloads right here. There's a big red button in the middle once you get to that site that says Java download. Um, and you'll download it for the Mac and install it. But what Java basically is, is it's just a way for um, software to run on the computer that is kind of old. And so it doesn't come pre-installed on new computers anymore um, because a lot of programs don't use it. But some programs like this that are older still use Java. It's It's a language that, you know, for much of the time until the past, I don't know, five, 10 years, I'm not a coder, but was used extensively and, and has run a lot of programs and still runs a lot of programs in the world. So you just got to get Java running. Um, that should unlock the ability to run that script and then you'll be rolling just fine. All right, last question here. Dan says, I help out a nonprofit that has annual awards ceremonies. We need more light on stage and I'm looking for suggestions on what we can do on a budget. We want to avoid blocking views with structures and the hotels don't allow us to mount stuff on the walls. Yep, that's normal. All right, the stage usually looks like this and he sent a picture. Um, are you able to suggest something? Thanks. All right, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Dan, I've done tons of events like this. Uh, when when you're a lighting guy who, who you know, finds your niche like I did in corporate events, um, you know, shows like this, a little award shows like this are like, you know, every week um, because the, there's so many of them happening. And so, what you've got going on is is a classic, uh, you know, you need some front wash. And so there's there's kind of two things going on that's not making your, your show look good here, right? The first is that you've got all the overhead lighting on. And so some of that is splashing onto your backdrop. Um, and the second is that it's just not bright enough to compete with the, the LEDs that you're using to uplight the drape. You probably knew all this, but I'm just letting the people know this so they can get maybe a picture of what's going on. So you need some lights to wash your stage, okay? Um, the... The simplest, of course, and easiest way is to get some wide flood, you know, pars or something like that, something very wide and put them at the corners of the stage and light the stage. But of course, the problem with that is having them on, on a stand at the corner of the stage is an eyesore, right? So that's not usually what, not what we do. So at that point, you want to get some ellipsoidals, maybe rent some from a local production company, and you basically will put them on a stand either a tripod type stand or a pipe and base as it's called in the industry, which is literally just a weighted base that a pipe screws into. Um, it's like a 50 pound base. You throw some sandbags on it and then you, you bolt the lights on top of the pipe and you control them with a dimmer and a lighting console. Um, and you've kind of got two options on where to put those lights. Okay. Because you can't, like you said, you can't mount things to the wall without 
significant cost. You can't hang things from the ceiling um, in these hotels. Um, and I see your shows at an Omni here. Um, you know, that's going to be very expensive to do just to get them to hang the stuff. So you've got two options on where to put it, okay, depending on the room. If the room is, uh, you know, I would say within under 100 feet long to the back to the back wall, then you could get away with some ellipsoidals, some leekos, um, as they're called, source fours they're sometimes called. This is a type of light that's good for shooting long distance. And you could get some of those, you know, maybe three, four of those, put them in the back and uh, shine them at the stage. Um, they're going to be blinding to the people on stage. I'm going to tell you that, but they'll work. Now, if your room is uh, more narrow, you know, and, and long th- as opposed to wide and the way you set up in it, then you could go ahead and go to the sides of the room. And, you know, I would go back so that the angle's not too, too steep from the sides, but that it's, you know, around 45 degrees to each side is a good angle that I like to point at and get them as high as you can, of course, to the ceiling, though the ceiling in this room looks like it's about, you know, 15 feet. It's not that high and you get a two foot stage suddenly. You're not going to get the lights that high, but but that's the best place to do it is really to get them on the sides, um, get them out of people's eyes, get them up as high as you can and um, be able to light that stage from the sides, be able to bring those lights down, give you a more theatrical look and uh, do it for not a lot of money. You know, some incandescent, um, some old, you know, halogen source fours or maybe LED ones in a small console for a one night rental might not be too bad uh, for you. So that is my recommendation for you and Dan. All right, guys, thank you again for listening today. Woo, that's a lot of questions. And we've got more. As I mentioned, guys, you know, I'm really going to start pushing the podcast more. I admit I've kind of just been busy, you know, a lot of things going on. Um, the big lighting trade show LDI is coming up very soon. And I've got a lot of things going on for that, that I got to work on. Um, and I'm trying to get done. And so, um, but thank you for listening. Seriously. Um, and if you have enjoyed this, you know, considering just giving a buck or two or three to Patreon, um, each month, it's not a lot of money, you know, you maybe you buy coffee or something else. And, uh, you know, I don't know, but, um, you know, two, three, four, five bucks a month. It's not a lot. And honestly, if everybody who, who listened to the podcast did that, then we would have an awesome commercial free, free to the, to the public, you know, four times a month or more podcasts where we get to interview great people, teach you more about lighting and uh, answer your questions and uh, do so in a more timely manner than I do now. So if that sounds good to you, check it out. Check out learnstagelighting.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, or patreon.com slash learnstagelighting, or there's a link in the show notes. And uh, I will see you guys on our next episode. So excited for this one. I'm talking to a friend, Chris Light, here in town. He's a DJ, and um, he's got a lot of great a lot of great stuff to talk about. And we talk about choosing consoles a lot, but we go into other areas as well and talk about how, you know, not having the most professional console and, and the most complex console is not always the right thing for you. Um, and, and I think that's cool. And, you know, you, you got to find what's best for you. And it's it's a good show. It really is. So I can't can't wait to have you guys check that out. Of course, you got to be subscribed to do that. So be sure to do that. And I'll see you here next week. Thanks.